Hello and welcome again to SpotCast, your single point of contact for service management and support insights presented by HDI. I'm Roy Atkinson, your host for SpotCast. For episode two, I had the great pleasure of interviewing April Allen. Globally recognized as the Knowledge Bird, April is a knowledge management consultant, certified knowledge-centered service trainer, and independent analyst monitoring emerging knowledge technology. Knowledge Bird works with leaders to develop better knowledge management practices in all kinds of organizations, from scale-ups to large-scale enterprises, helping teams work more effectively with organizational know-how for customer and employee success. As an angel investor and advisor, April helps CEOs of growing startups establish processes they need to push through the growing pains of scaling their businesses. We're going to talk a little bit about knowledge management because that's the area that you deal in the most, I think. Uh, would you agree or disagree with the statement, knowledge management is more important now than ever? Why or why not? We, we've got a new pressure now. Um, technology has advanced to a point where where everyone is now talking about and wanting to uh, adopt some kind of automation um, AI, uh, machine learning, um, leaders want to invest in it, uh, but for it to work, it needs data and it needs the context that domain experience provides. And so if you don't have that sort of centralised knowledge base, then the data isn't there in the first place. And if you have a static knowledge base and nothing else, you don't have the visibility of changes in patterns of use which is what informs the machine learning. So it, the, the time has come, really. People are awake now to the, the fact that they really need to be considering knowledge management, even though they've known about it and it's something that, yes, we all want to do that, but it's not important enough or urgent enough for us to do anything about it right now. So it's, it's interesting that the coming of automation has really made this an important and urgent issue. I think it has, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that, by the way. It's obvious from what you said, too, that this is applicable in very different types of organizations and very different areas of organizations. It's not something that's just about uh, service management, service desk, technical support. And you work with different kinds of organizations, different sizes of organizations. Is, is there something that they have in common when it comes to their needs for knowledge management? Uh, I think I think it's just not realizing what they can do um, to make their lives easier when training someone new, for example. So often they don't realize there's such a thing as an internal knowledge base. Like they they. They think about knowledge bases in a customer service sense and they're, you know, because they use them a lot, um, you know, they think that you can only use a, a knowledge base to serve customers. But, you know, you can definitely use it as a training training tool. And um, so uh, often they just don't realise what's out there to help them. Um, if they do, if they do have progressed to a stage where they are aware of knowledge bases and they want to do something like that, um, uh, a common mistake is to rely on a single technical writer or a customer service manager to be the person that administers it and they, they become the one writer and the one reviewer 
and uh, it just creates a real slowdown in getting that knowledge reusable. And I would think, too, going back to something that you said about getting people up to speed from a training perspective, that I think, in my experience anyway, a lot of organizations rely on uh, information being passed from one person to that new person. They mm. kind of shadow some one person, so they get that single perspective. And I would think of that as being true in terms of the technical writer or the knowledge writer uh, in, in the same way. Is that true? Is that something you've seen? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. And in, and in my um, time in help desks, it was the way it went for me. I I was uh, you know we used to call it double jacking and um, shadowing when we were shadowing on phone calls back then. So. Yeah, you would just get, um, you know, a single perspective and way of solving problems when there could be multiple ways of solving the same problem. Um, but you you may not get that exposure. So as an organization grows, and that's an object of an organization, right, to continue to grow and increase its customer base. So <laughs> let's let's talk about how knowledge management scales a little bit. Uh, is, is there a a better way to do it is KCS the best way to scale? And, and if you're not familiar with KCS, if you're, you're listening to this knowledge centered service, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but does that scale better than other methodologies? Do you think April? Uh, yeah, I think it does by virtue of it making the knowledge management a team activity. So everybody's, um, uh, taught and trained how to contribute to the knowledge base in a consistent and sustainable way. Um, so it's it's not just uh, going through a, a single gate, gatekeeper. So, so yeah, I do think KCS offers that scalability um, from day one. Uh, and, you know, really the only... The only um, I, the only other ways I think of knowledge being managed is is at an individual sort of engineering level. So KCS, I think, is the only sort of methodology that, that can grow as a team and, and as an organization and the customer base grows. So knowledge center support became knowledge centered service uh, when it went from version five to version six. And what are some other areas of a business or organization outside tech support or outside IT that you think can benefit the most from uh, using a methodology like like KCS or knowledge management in general? Mm. Uh, well, sales organisations um, they uh, they can certainly benefit um, from sharing uh, knowledge in managing prospects and uh, competitors and things like that. Um, HR, we hear we're hearing a lot more about HR taking the reins of um, knowledge management within an organisation and and really owning employee success through providing a sort of single source of truth for employee information. So HR is really growing. Um, really any function that gets emails and phone calls and, you know, any other kind of channel of communication from people asking questions are, are served by the practices that, KCS offers to aim to make those answers reusable in self-service. So it's uh, it's 
creeping out. You know, IT, IT and, and customer success and customer support are, are often the first people to use it because they're, they're, um, the benefits are, are so demonstrable very quickly. Um, but uh, HR are rapidly coming up there too. Interesting that in some recent research uh, we did, HR is also a very large participant in what's usually called enterprise service management. Right, uh, yes. They're, they're big adopters of service management uh, tools and, and processes. So it's an, an interesting convergence there that, eight, that that's two areas of an organization that you probably wouldn't think of as going together uh, IT and HR, but there there we go. Yeah. So many organizations start a knowledge management program with the specific goal of getting self-help up and running. Is that a good approach, do you think? And what advice would you give for those organizations that are really aiming at self-help? I think it's an excellent goal, certainly. Um Starting there might be the wrong way to go, though, because you wind up guessing which how-tos to start with, which FAQs to put up there first, uh, and you don't necessarily have a sustainable way of keeping them up to date. Um, and it may be that you've got broad support for, from um, leadership or the team for self-service, so uh, it's it's where I would focus attention with respect to outcomes if I was going to start with self-service as a way to demonstrate success in knowledge management. Um, but the best way to get there is by starting with the internal knowledge base interaction and, and the behaviours in the first place and drive those high-value articles public once you know which ones they are. And you, you know which ones they are by their... Um, the reuse, how often they're reused to solve problems from an internal knowledge base perspective. And then you can have the analytics from that and, and those high value articles are the ones you would then be able to push through to self-service and, and you'll know then that you're answering the right questions for the customer. And that's that's something that a lot of people start off in knowledge management, I think, that I've seen anyway. And one of the first metrics they put in place is how many articles people are writing mm. and uh, I of course you want to get the content out there but reuse is really what what drives things to the top in KCS right yeah that's right um, because uh, if you're if you're writing a knowledge base from your perspective as you know somebody that works in the service desk or maybe you're a product owner you you don't actually have the understanding of how the customer is seeing um, those issues even if they were seeing those issues so the way you describe them could be totally different from the way they would go looking for them so uh, that's why the uh, starting at the at the ground level with your own um, internal searching capabilities with the customer's context in mind, you get a very, very clear understanding of how questions are being asked and how often. And with so many aspects of uh, business, and, and when I say business, I am meaning to include institutions, higher, higher education, um, healthcare, 
there's so much technology involved. So there's so many aspects that are being handled yeah. by that technology. How can we address the invariably increasing complexity of the technical environment? So in other words, how do we keep up? And you mentioned that before, how difficult it is to keep things up to date. How do, how do we do that, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, over-indexing on communication. Um, you know, we're, we're just about all every organization is working in software these days, even if their product isn't software-based, they've probably got their own development team or they're outsourcing some aspect of development So uh, to to keep up operations going. So um, development teams should be communicating new releases in business and customer terms. Um, if you're uh, trying out new uh, integrations or new tools in your support teams, um, discussing what the existing shortcomings or problems are that you're trying to solve and bringing that up with vendors uh, is a good idea because you might have options with your existing um, tech that, that's going unused and that's very, really super common <laughs> because um, tools are so, oh, they go from one extreme to the other. I mean, they can be platforms and they're so huge that, that it's very hard to get the full uh the full use of the tool um, or they're so n narrowly focused on a point solving a particular point problem that you end up with dispersed knowledge repositories all over the place because every tool has its own way of storing knowledge so um, it can be really really difficult um, so yeah over indexing on communication in terms of people and teams um, uh, keeping everyone up to date with what's changing within the organisation, um, but also uh, looking at ways to integrate the tools that you're using so that you can get more out of them and get the best from them. Tell me a little bit more about exactly what you mean when you say over-indexing. Can you break that down for yeah, me a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I just mean uh, too much communication is never enough. <laughs> so... So always uh, err on the side of more info than less. Um, and I think people, uh, we often make the mistake because we're inside our own heads a lot that we, we think people know what we know, what we know, but that's most often not the case. The, the curse of knowledge, yes. as it were. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we, we know it, therefore we assume everybody knows it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, and I'm going to, ask you a question that it's something that occurs to me when i talk about knowledge management uh i sometimes refer to the baggage tracking system that delta airlines uses uh where right in their mobile app where your bag is if you've checked your checked a bag with mm -hmm. them uh, appears in the in the app it just what they've done is opened up their database so that you can see where your bag is. It was where, the last time it was scanned. It was loaded on the plane. Yeah. It was taken off the plane. It was transferred to another plane. So you know where your bag is at any given portion of your trip. And I, I talk about that from a knowledge perspective. I now, as the customer, can see where that is. And it, I, I get certain peace of mind out of that. And yeah. I, I usually try to tie that into saying that knowledge, we usually talk about knowledge articles. That that yep. doesn't mean that they're written documents, right? What kinds mm. of other 
methods of uh, conveying knowledge and sharing knowledge have you seen? Have you seen video? Have you seen what else have you seen, if any? Uh, yeah, I have seen video. I've seen um, in-app messaging. So, you know, knowledge, uh, like there's a knowledge base behind sort of um, as a foundational layer, but then there's, you can direct cert certain chunks of, uh, of a knowledge article directly into the app. So it's, co it's really context relevant. Um, uh, so I think that sort of thing would will become even more useful uh, given how our dependence on on software now. Um, uh, so that sort of thing, um, video, yeah, you know, coaching, uh, the conversational sorts of knowledge are are super important for for surfacing that tacit knowledge. You know, the cursive knowledge, the the stuff we we know but we've forgotten we know. Um, so coaching and mentoring and facilitating um, all of those ways sort of surface and transfer tacit knowledge. Um, so, so they're they're completely valid. It's not all knowledge management is about more than your technical technical platforms for storing stuff and retrieving stuff. It's all, it's also the the facilitating of conversations. That's a very interesting viewpoint. I like that. So as if if I'm in an organization now and I'm I realize suddenly as people around me in the organization start talking about uh, needing chatbots and virtual assistants and as we said a little bit earlier uh, it's important in the face of that kind of technology to make sure that we have knowledge that's available to feed that automation feed those chatbots where do I start and and how important is it to get buy-in from the top? Uh, does it need to come from way up high? Can people do things to drive initiatives and knowledge management from where they are in an organization? A top-down sponsorship definitely provides greater success. Um, it, it, it provides for the resources that you need in terms of training and integrating and reconfiguring tools. Um, adjustments to process um, and enthusiastic leadership will be open to changing key performance indicators as, as a knowledge program matures and those KPIs change in, in response. Um, APQC uh, in the US, they published research recently, like just this week, showing KM programs of all kinds have uh, more success when they report into the sea level for the, for those reasons, um, and and the next best reporting line is is HR leadership, which is uh, we talked about HR before. Um, I think though that and what I found when I was working in the help desk, it's pretty common that a customer success lead will will agitate for for a better way, and um, if they have strong leadership above them who can push back on. KPI constraints and provide some buffer for making some incremental experiments, I guess, with, with fundamental behaviour changes and seeing what happens. Um, you may see enough improvement in the grassroots to tell a good story at the management level. Um, but, yeah, like I was saying about those changing KPIs, like be careful about selling those exciting metrics um, like um, 
average handle time or uh, time to resolve um, because they'll look good in the beginning of, of a knowledge program uh, when more issues are being solved more quickly. Um, but eventually it flips and they, uh, those times go up because uh, your, your agents on the help desk are handling more complex issues and taking longer to solve uh, cases and, and more time with customers and it can freak senior leaders out a bit. And the next thing you know, your program is cut. So um, focus on telling the story of, of value as, as your program matures um, and things uh, value would be sort of improved customer satisfaction, improved employee productivity um, and the reduced cost of uh, managing cases, customer exceptions, um, especially when your automation does come in because that's, that's where those price of interactions goes way down. And we've been talking in the industry about shifting left for a long time now, bringing mm. more complex issues down toward level one and out into self-service and, and continuing to do that over time, which introduces more complexity into, let's say, level one. Mm. Um, and then you have automation and chat and virtual assistants and virtual agents that take yet more of the simple stuff off the plates and so we have more complex things that are being handled at level one how do we get that message across it's something you just talked about being careful of the what the kpis look like over time because that complexity will go up and therefore resolution times will go up and so forth so how do we get the message across that that's expected acceptable and probably a good thing in the long run. What are there, is there anything we can look at that says, see w what we're what we've lost here in this metric, we've made up over here. Is it, is it primarily customer satisfaction, and maybe it's overall cost? Anything you can think of? Yeah, I think uh, overall cost. Uh, it, you you'll be able to demonstrate an overall cost of um, serving a case. Um, because you, you will be serving so much more volume at self-service and even even more again at the community level if you if you go that far uh, where, where use it, your, your customer community are helping each other um, before it even gets to raising a case. Um, so you'll be able to demonstrate that the cost of um, keeping customers uh, productive, uh, goes down um, and the other the other important uh, improvement is employee retention because because they're working on more complex things the the work is more interesting and it's more challenging and you know you, you expect that somebody working in customer service enjoys the problem solving that's usually why they stick around um, and they'll stick around longer if they're being able to work on those complex and interesting things and, and they don't get that opportunity if they're putting out the same fires all the time. So so uh, retention means lower training costs, of course. So you've got it on both fronts, lowering costs of customer exceptions and employee training. You raised something very interesting when you started to talk about the community conversations that, that community support that we see quite a bit of now and some 
organizations have been very successful with it over time. Is the community forum part of the organizational knowledge base? Is is and how do we incorporate that, or do we incorporate that into the knowledge that we manage? Uh, I yes, I do think it is. Um, it is relevant to an organization's uh, success amongst their customers. Um, it works in a few ways um, that it gives customers access to product owners and product managers. Um, if if we're all contributing uh, to the same sort of body of knowledge, uh, we have the confidence that the people in charge of making the thing that I use are understanding the ways it's being used and the ways we're working around some things that that don't work the way we necessarily want them to. Um, so we know we've got a direct line of access to the to the product management people. With tools that are highly configurable, um, it's it's great to have the experiences of other customers. Okay, so what are you doing to manage, you know, ABC? Um, we do it in this way, but I, I want to know how other people are doing it because there's a multiple multiple avenues of of achieving the same outcome, and, and one may work better than the way I'm doing it now. So, um, having having those sorts of anecdotes available is is really great for building confidence and and expanding the use of the tool. Opening your knowledge base up to the community grows your community because it's um it's you can take advantage of um, Google. So if you have your knowledge base merged with your community forums and your community forums are open to Google search. Uh, then you've got more people being attracted, more users being attracted into your community. Um, so you get growth, uh, which grows advocacy. So it works for everybody. It, it works for the organisation because it builds awareness. Um, it works for the customers because they're getting greater exposure to how other people do things and they've got access to um, product owners uh, and it works for support and they, in terms of the customers driving up relevancy of answers by being able to review articles as well. So having everyone participating like that is, is a really great way to leverage the knowledge that your support teams are using every day. How important is the tool itself I know a lot of people who have searched for the perfect knowledge management tool. Um, does it matter very much? How much does it matter? Does it matter whether you're doing it the more traditional type of knowledge management or do you need something more closely aligned with KCS if you're trying to do KCS? What, what's your advice on tools? Yeah, none of them do everything uh, well. Um... I think if you're if you want to do KCS, there is there is some level you could go with whatever you have because a lot of KCS is about the behaviour change and and searching for answers rather than relying on what we know independently. 
But then when you want to be able to measure, well, how often is our knowledge being reused when we're solving cases, um, uh, that those sorts of analytics are still uh, quite a challenge to get out of the box. So that's where alignment to KCS in, in terms of a tool can be quite helpful. It can save you sort of some crazy customization. So... Yeah, I think you can make do for a long way, but the tool can definitely provide that that extra extra mile of success that you, that you would not necessarily get to. Thank you for being here through the wonders of technology with you in Australia and being here in South Carolina, USA, oh, and okay. for sharing your experience and knowledge with us about knowledge management. Thank you so much, April. Thank you. This is great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of SpotCast. For more information, see thinkhdi.com. Under Support World, you'll find excerpts from this podcast and links to other podcasts, as well as lots of information on service management and support. You can follow April Allen as KnowledgeBird on Twitter. This is Roy Atkinson. We'll see you next time on SpotCast.